This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. I think you'll agree with me that cooling is one of the best things that happened in the last uh, 20 years. Um, when you hear headlines like this, cooling, brain monitoring, and glucose control revives corpse, say doctors, have to sort of sift through what's fact and what's fiction. Um, I have no relevant conflicts. We are, I am a, a co-investigator on two trials, one on therapeutic cooling after pediatric cardiac arrest, and one on glycemic control. Uh, tight glycemic control in the U.S., but um, because neither of the studies are complete and uh, the code hasn't been broken and I have equipoise and I'm still uh, entering patients, I don't believe this uh, represents any conflict of interest. And any of the um, devices that I'm going to sort of uh, display are not intended to endorse any single device, cooling technique, et cetera, but simply to display it. I think you'll agree with me that the brain is kind of a black box, that we uh, are getting better and better about knowing what's going on and how to manage it. Uh, and we have understood that there are a lot of different mechanisms that we can define, whether it's traumatic brain injury, as in this case, or hypoxic or global ischemic injury. Um, the excitatory uh, depolarizations, inflammation and apoptosis, necrosis, et cetera, have different patterns that express themselves with proteomics, genomics, lipidomics, and metabolomics. And it's a very complex scheme of things that occur, but one of the few interventions, cooling, seems to block many, many steps along the way. Uh, not a single shot, but sort of a, a broad volley of shots that seems to work under experimental conditions quite well, but when applied in our clinical arena, particularly when applied in general or non-specifically, uh, seems to fail. We're going to review that uh, for a few minutes. Now, nature gives us a lot of leads. We know that in anoxic, hypoxic ischemic animals, diving seals, turtles, and carp, there are mechanisms that they have evolved that are similar to external cooling, which suppress the metabolic rate and also tend to hibernate or to uh, decrease the metabolism and perhaps bypass the usual pathways to keep the brain and brain cells alive. And, alive. and hypothermia seems to do, do that quite well. Uh, from many places, Pittsburgh in particular, we have discovered that there are some specific pathways that are particularly important in brain injury and that hypothermia-induced cardioprotection, heart protection, is quite effective uh, and can um, perhaps give us some clues as to how this works. We know there are many, many uh, mechanisms of action and side effects of external cooling. Uh, today we're talking really about what we call mild to moderate cooling in 32 to 34 degree range. Uh, and some of, the, some of the side effects are going to be talked about a bit in more detail uh, from the other speakers, but we know that as we cool or warm, we affect shivering, 
we have non-shivering thermoregulation, we have vasoconstriction, vasodilatation, and sweating. And along that spectrum, we can see that we can affect not only the processes that we're targeted towards, the brain metabolic processes and uh, inflammation, etc., but also we'll have many other systemic effects. And herein lies the, the problem, if you will, that as we target specific therapies that may be beneficial to the brain, uh, some of these other peripheral effects seem to create enough noise or enough side effect that the potential benefit of cooling sometimes seems great, but then falls by the wayside when we look at our randomized controlled trials. We do know that one of the targets of cooling where we sort of get down to the cellular level is in the mitochondria, and certainly certain enzymes in the mitochondria and the, um, and the lipid exchange and the um, membrane potentials are certainly affected by cooling. And we know that we don't necessarily really understand all of the mechanisms of cooling yet, but several of the effects of cooling can be mimicked by medication, so that the evol evolution of physical cooling is perhaps in the future going to evolve to uh, the injection of medications, which perhaps can mimic or uh, mirror the effects of cooling. Cooling's not new. Uh, cooling has, uh, you, you may know that Napoleon used to set, after a, a fighting in the storm when his soldiers were almost frozen, he noticed that he had less depth deaths if he sent the soldiers to sit uh, next to the fire, and the one he noticed that the, the soldiers that were closest to the fire uh, did not, um, died more frequently than those that were back from the fire, and so that the cooling had some sort of protective effect. And then in the 50s, there was sort of a rediscovery of the uses of hypothermia, particularly in the area of cardiac arrest by Peter Saffer and others. And they looked at the injury causes and the interventions and the pathways, and since that time, goal-directed cerebral resuscitation, most of which we're going to talk about this afternoon, um, is headed by temperature control. And instead of therapeutic hypothermia, we've moved towards calling it targeted temperature management because we're not quite sure whether it's the induction of hypothermia, as we'll discuss in a minute, or whether it's actually the control and prevention of fever or hyperthermia that may be the most beneficial effects. Now we know that there are key elements that the patient has. There are patient factors, event factors, and the system of factors that brought them to the hypoxic ischemic state that impact outcome. And our intervention of cooling is not just the induction of hypothermia, but involves the rewarming, the sedation, the blood pressure management, the ventilation management, glucose control, and the protocol adherence. So when we say we're cooling or rewarming a patient, it frequently involves a wide spectrum of intensive care management that spans quite a broad spectrum of things that affect brain function, brain cell function, and indeed the survival and quality of life of those patients. In early 2000, the breakthrough studies in neonatal hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy either the cool cap or the whole body cooling suggested that cooling to 32 to 34 degrees could have very few side effects and important survival and neurologic outcome effects on infants, particularly full-term infants with mild to moderate hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy.
the complications were few, and it was recognized that hypoglycemia, hypocalcemia, death and disability were things that differed, and there were very few complications that resulted from careful cooling and monitoring during cooling. About that time, a year later, was the adult sudden ventricular fibrillation out of hospital cardiac arrest studies, short duration arrest, witnessed, transported, and then cooled within six to eight hours for periods of 12 to 24 hours in separate studies published with good survival outcomes that showed in the blue improved neurologic survival that was convincing even though their regimen, the regimens were instituted late. There was a period of arrest on your left-hand side followed by low flow CPR, followed by return of spontaneous circulation, and then an interval period during which the patients were not cooled. When they arrived at the hospital uh, in the two major studies, they were then cooled in the green on your right-hand side. And the control groups had a mean uh, temperature, brain temperature, or core temperature, of less than 38, but that meant that they, uh, the control group actually waffled and had a number of temperatures that were above 38, almost half of them. And they used intensive ICU management, including about 60% of the patients being managed with vasopressors, norepinephrine, uh, and intensive management in that tightly controlled trial uh, and had excellent survival outcomes. Indeed, the control group had better survival outcomes than their historical controls, suggesting at least that in selected populations that the implementation of a therapeutic cooling and rewarming protocol could be effective in a global ischemic event that was witnessed and carefully managed. In fact, they recognized that therapeutic cooling for cardiac arrest, hypothermia in this case, had a number needed to treat of six for an improved neurologic outcome compared to other commonly used therapies in intensive care such as lung protective strategy, aspirin, thrombolytics, etc., had a much better uh, ratio of number needed to treat. So the recommendations came out that unconscious patients after cardiac arrest should be cooled for 12 to 24 hours if they were witnessed in an initial rhythm of VF and considered for other forms of global ischemia. There were a number of different methods that then evolved to cool patients. Here are uh, French fry, cold French fry bags from the freezer of the ICU that had been put on the patient to try to cool their surface. Here, more sophisticated, an external cooling device, cold water blankets, more sophisticated external cooling, water circulating surfaces and cooling devices evolved, thermo suits, endovascular cooling to make that regulation tighter and faster, and even uh, inhaled or perfluorocarbon that's aerosolized directly into the nasopharynx to cool the brain more efficiently. ICUs started to look like this with all of the ventilators, inotropes, insulin, defibrillator, and cooling devices quite neatly around the bedside, effectively cooling and rewarming, but the, ad the adoption of this was slow. In fact, here's an example of a cooling helmet, a helmet that's marketed so that on impact of the motorcycle victim hitting the pavement, cool liquid bathes the brain to start cooling the brain as EMS is on the way. 
did this translate to kids? Well, the problem was that at this time there were no studies in children that suggested that the same beneficial effect would occur, and most pediatric cardiac arrest was hypoxic and ischemic, asphyxial, in nature. And so currently there's a therapeutic hypothermia after pediatric cardiac arrest trial in place, which is controlling con therapeutic normothermia for five days with a two-day period of therapeutic hypothermia, 32 to 34 degrees, followed by three days of controlled normothermia. This is on the heels of the Canadian critical care trial, which looked at therapeutic hypothermia after, after traumatic brain injury, a randomized controlled trial of 24 hours of hypothermia in pediatric patients with severe traumatic brain injury. This trial, published by Jamie Hutchinson and others in the, uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine, found that there was not a beneficial effect of the protocol, but actually worse outcome, a trend towards worse survival outcome, and they identified that there was an increase in hypotensive episodes in the hypothermia therapy group during rewarming, which they believed was most likely for the potential adverse effect, uh, potential adverse effect of cooling. And so overall a negative study, but with concerning side effects during rewarming that were um, problematic. And so the current therapeutic trial, the cooling trial, was, uh, took that into account. In addition, the cool kids trial was stopped early. This was a therapeutic hypothermia trial, um, which was devised for traumatic brain injury with hypothermia for 48 hours and slow rewarming. Unfortunately, it was stopped for futility early. And so the beneficial effects that everybody was so happy about and very interested in that seemed to be strong didn't seem to pan out for the traumatic brain injury. And indeed, in the adults, by Guy Clifton, a series of studies that were, when applied globally to traumatic brain injury adults, again, were negative studies, did not show beneficial effect, except in the subgroup where they had um, subdural hematomas and increased intracranial pressure. And so an evolution that suggested that perhaps cooling is where it's at, but it's for selected patients with very specific protocol and intensive therapies. Brain-targeted therapies are routinely used in the management of traumatic brain injury and can make a huge difference in outcomes, and thus the addition of hypothermia was felt perhaps not to be a strong enough signal to um, improve the currently good brain-targeted therapies. So then, in 2011, five societies, including the Society of Critical Care Medicine, came out with strong recommendations for targeted temperature management to 32 to 34 degrees for global cardiac arrest-induced uh, hypoxic ischemic insult. And that brings us to where we are now, the near and far future, with more questions than answers. In fact, whom should we cool? And when do we start cooling? How do we cool? And how deep do we cool? And how do we rewarm? Over what time period? And with what protections in place? And how long do we cool? And when do we rewarm? These tenets that 
cooling is here to stay, are being pushed to further limits. The adults are doing uh, experiments right now in humans with EPR, which is hypothermia that's induced for severe traumatic brain injury, where emergency preservation, the patient is cooled, then placed on bypass with various cocktails of antioxidants uh, instilled and then reperfused. It's a chance to stop the clock and delay reperfusion. So I leave you then with what is fact, what is fiction, how will we be using cooling in the future? Perhaps we will refrigerate, but not freeze. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org. Thank you.